God, we thank you for today. Uh, God, just thank you for uh, the sunshine that we have outside. Uh, just the incredible, um, yeah, just the incredible beauty that, that we get to see even more clearly on, on days like this. God, we're just thankful for that. Um, and thankful for the joy it brings um, for us and uh, for all the people that we get to be around. So we're just thankful for that today. Uh, most of all, though, God, we're just thankful for our opportunity to gather here. Um, we pray for our time today. Uh, pray for everyone who is here today. God, we just thank you for that. Uh, we thank you for the kids and just pray that you would be with them and that you would bless their time back there as they also get to dive into your word and get to know and see you more each and every Sunday as we gather, God. Um, but be with us here today. Um, help us to see so clearly who you are through your word, um, God. God, I pray that you would move me out of the way and let you be the one who speaks to us today. Speak to our hearts and our minds. Help us to know you and see you, God. Um, help us to really think about um, and see who you are in, in the way that we get to not just know of you and know who you are and know what you've done, God, but we get to know you in a real relational way, God, that we get to be in Christ, that we get to be a people that are rooted in Christ and get to walk through life with you, God, through the way that you work in us as we walk in you, as we are filled in you, God. We are so thankful for your spirit and your presence, God. Pray that that would be the one that, that would speak to our hearts and our minds today. Uh, be with us, speak to us, help us to see you and know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Seeing if this goes up more. It doesn't. Cool. Um, so Colossians 2, 8 through 10, um, I'm going to read verse 8 again. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So right here in this letter, uh, in this part of the letter, I should say, uh, in this section, uh, Paul starts off with a warning. Um, in our language, uh, the English Standard Version that we're looking at today, it starts with saying, see to it. Other translations, though, would use language like beware, take heed, be careful. Um, this is very much a warning to the reader um, and a warning to us. Um, and I've taken it as kind of a personal thing when I'm reading the Bible. If there's like a warning or a command, like I take note of those things. Uh, if God is warning you about something, I would say take note of that. Um, so it's important for us to realize this and see that God is warning us of something. Um, and we should definitely take note of that. It goes on to say that we should beware not to be taken captive by philosophy or empty deceit, which accords to humor tradition and elemental spirits of the world. Uh, Paul is kind of pretty straightforward right here. Um, we see when he says not to be taken captive, and he says philosophy, which is kind of like, oh, what is that? And then he kind of likens it with the and there and says empty deceit. Um, so when he says deceit and empty, I think uh, he kind of straightforward lets us know what he thinks of and how he likens this philosophy um, is that it's something to be warned of and that these were all in accordance to humor tradition and elemental spirits. Um, and to kind of be honest, when reading this passage this week and looking through it, um, there are a lot of different thoughts about what these things mean, about what philosophy he might be talking about, um, about what empty deceit, where it's going on in this time, what are the traditions, what are the elemental spirits. And um, like all commentators, some people like to like think about every possible scenario. Some people are like, this is exactly what it has to mean. Um, and I'll give some kind of overview of what this kind of looked like and what they were saying there. Um, and then kind of see how we can take some of these things and understand it, but how we can also see kind of the bigger picture, because um, I don't think we have to get caught up in this, but I think it does give us some good context. Um, so as an overview, some people say that this was all philosophy in general, that the idea of philosophy is something that's just separate from God, and that, that if you have a philosophy, then you're trying to find a way on life on your own, or, or something like that. Well, others are saying that maybe this is a very specific philosophy that addressed maybe pagan type of living, uh, Gnostic type of living, kind of just a certain philosophy that was going around the people that time. And then in accordance to that, um, that these things, that these philosophies, whatever type of philosophy it was, were being kind of human tradition, was really just these getting passed down and shared and being spread throughout the people. Um, and then the thought there 
Um, really, it's just that these traditions were just really the spreading of these teachings and ideas and these concepts. Um, and then it goes on and says elemental spirits. And, and this one is one where there's a lot of different thoughts about what this can mean. Um, some people think these are real spiritual forces that were um, trying to pull people into a certain way of living or thinking. Um, some people think that these were, like I said, spiritual or demonic forces. Um, and others think that maybe these were actually just like fundamental principles in the way that the elemental um, spirits we're kind of talking about. Or so these are just fundamental principles that people are living by and fundamental or pagan principles that people were living by. Um, so again, all these commentators give us a lot of different perspective. Um, and I think what we can see here is that um, Paul is definitely countering something, something that he sees as empty, something that he doesn't see as good. Um, but in reality, these aren't actually major issues. Um, I think a lot of those things are very applicable if we look at the whole picture of Scripture, um, that there are some things about certain philosophies that aren't going to be any good for us, that there's obviously empty to see. That one's pretty straightforward. Uh, we can move on from that. Um, but yeah, there's certain human traditions that may not be good or beneficial for us. And then there's elemental spirits uh, of the world, which could be, um, like we said, fundamental type of principles or ways of thinking. Um, but this could also just be um, or this also could certainly be some sort of real spiritual force that was coming against them. Um, but um, it's not really a major issue here because we understand, and the writer clearly tells us what the issue is with these things. Um, by the end of the, the verse 8, he kind of gives us a clear thing that these were not according to Jesus Christ. That the real problem with these, whatever the philosophy might be, whatever the traditions might be, whatever um, these elemental spirits would be, that they were not according to Jesus Christ. That's what the real issue is, regardless of what the commentators think. All, maybe all of those things might be applicable or ways of looking at this. Um, but we can look at this passage and see how these things are described as empty, human, and elemental. All things that are very different than Jesus, the Jesus that we know and we see in Scripture. Um, again, verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty to see, according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. That the biggest issue with these things is that they were not according to Christ, that they weren't in the way or will of Christ Jesus. We may not know exactly what is meant in this passage by these things, but we can leave that to the commentators to perplex over and argue um, because we do know from Scripture and the overall picture of Scripture that we live in a sinful, fallen world. Um, and that there's nothing to gain from this world itself, that these philosophies that are worldly, that these empty deceits that are worldly, that these human traditions that are of the world, that these um, spirits or elemental or principles of the world are, are nothing for us to gain from because they're not of Christ. Um, John 10.10 10 kind of says, um, or ten, John 10.10 10 is Jesus speaking, and he proclaims that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Again, a lot of different thoughts on exactly what's being addressed here, but we know from the overview and the, the entire picture of Scripture that we have and the teachings of Jesus and, and the teachings we have from God in the Scripture, that there's a real spiritual force that seeks for us to um, be separated from Christ for all of eternity. Um, and he uses things like, yes, spirits, and uses things like this very world to take us from that. Um, and the whole issue and the root again of this warning is that these are things that are not of Christ Jesus. And that's a warning to us, is that there are things of this world and that there are spirits that want to pull us away from Christ Jesus and want us to be so um, rooted in and so built up, or so surrounded by things of this world that are not of Jesus. Um, philosophy is not inherently bad, but philosophy apart from Christ is foolishness. Traditions aren't inherently bad, but with no meaning or purpose, they're empty. Our reality is that we know emptiness all too well. Jeremiah 17:9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
we've all sinned and fallen short and short of the glory of God. And in our sin and in this world, we can so easily get caught up looking to this world and things other than Christ to fill us and to satisfy us and to find a way as we walk through this life. And Paul here warns us for such things, for anything short of Christ will leave us empty. It won't fulfill us. It won't satisfy us. But verse 9 transitions into a very beautiful verse that shows us the fullness of God, the fullness of Christ and who he is. Verse 9 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. This is an absolutely loaded verse that immediately combats the emptiness talked about in the previous verse. We go from this emptiness of these things of the world to this fullness of Christ Jesus, that in Christ the whole fullness of God dwells. What this, what this verse really ties us back to is an earlier teaching in Colossians, uh, chapter 1 that we talked about um, some months back, verses 15 through 20, and I'm going to read that for you today. Um, verse 9 is essentially just a shorthand version of exactly what Paul says in Colossians 1 in this exaltation of who Christ is. So let's read that. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell." And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In Christ, we have the fullness of God. The fullness of God. But not only is this the fullness of God, but Christ is the fullness of God, whom also dwelt among man bodily. This is the story of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. The God of the universe and creator of all things loved us that he himself came and was before us bodily, gave himself up bodily as a sacrifice to reconcile for our sin and rose again that in him we may be filled. Now verse 9 paints this beautiful picture of, of this fullness that we have in Christ, the fullness of who God is and the fullness of Jesus as, the, as fully God and fully man. And now verse 10 is where we come in. Verse 10 comes in and, and where we were once empty, where we once have verse 9, and we think about the emptiness of this world and the emptiness that we all know too well because of our sin and because of our sinful states and, and the sin that, that all of us have in our hearts because of the, the fallen world that we are in. But verse 10 comes along where we get to be united with Christ. And it says this, And you have been filled in him, Christ, who is the head of all rule and, and authority. As we said earlier, we are sinful and fallen people. We know the emptiness we know what emptiness is, and when left to our own devices, we are empty. On our own, we have no way of fulfilling ourselves, no way of filling ourselves up, no way of finding a true purpose or calling in this life. It all leads to emptiness. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And this is where emptiness should lead to, is that ultimately emptiness would lead us to death. And left to our own devices, death is exactly what we are led to. But Romans 6.23 goes on and says, The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Though we were empty and sinful, we have fullness in and through Christ. We are filled in Christ. Not only are we filled in finding purpose, wholeness, and being made right with God because of who Christ is and what he has done for us, we are filled in Christ by the Spirit of God that dwells within us. Romans 8.11 says uh, this, here. 
Romans 8, 11, talking about being filled in the Spirit, says this. If the Spirit of him who rose Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. That the wages of sin were death, and that we were empty, and that we on our own were headed to death. But the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells within us. That the same Spirit that gave Jesus life is within us and gives us life. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead fills those that are in Christ. That those who are in Christ Jesus are filled by the Spirit of God. Over the last few weeks, we talked about walking in Christ. And last week, we talked about John 15, which talks about Christ as the vine and us as the branches. The idea of walking in Christ is completely caught up and tied to being filled in Christ as we continue in Colossians. John 15, which we looked at last week, uh, in 15.5 says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And again, we talked about this idea of abiding in Jesus and, and that he is the vine and we are the branches. And the work that he does in us as we walk in him, we talked about last week in John 15. And 1 John 4.18 kind of dives deeper into this idea of abiding. It says this in First John 4.18, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. That we know that we abide in him and that we walk in him because we have been filled by the spirit of God. That we get to walk in and be filled in Christ. That we get to walk in this spirit that has filled us. And the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead fills those that are in Christ. We on our own were empty and bankrupt, like we said, but now have been filled in Christ. Verse 10 ends by giving us the case for why we who once were empty and hopeless, can find fullness in Christ. It ends in verse 10 this way, for saying that, for he is the head of all rule and authority. That if we were empty and we needed some way to be filled, then we needed someone who would be able to do that. And Christ presents himself as fully God and fully man, as we see in verse 9, um, and as we see broken down even further in, in that first um, in Colossians 1 passage, 15 through 20, that for he is the head of all rule and authority that he has the power, that he has the authority, that he as the creator of all things, the designer and the ultimate authority of this universe, is that we can be filled in him and united to him, the one who has all head, all rule, and all authority, the head of all rule and authority, um, is really uniting us to him and what we were made for as people who were created in the, in the image of God. I think this quote by St. Augustine gives us a beautiful picture of exactly what we were created for and what Paul is getting at here. St. Augustine said this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God, when he created us, put eternity in our hearts, that God has set eternity in the heart of man. Fullness in Christ is what we've been created for, that we may know God and walk in Christ by whom we have been filled. We were created to walk in Christ. We were created to be filled in Christ. We were created to be people who are in real relationship with God and with Christ. And as I was walking through this passage and thinking through the emptiness of the world and contrasting that with the fullness of Christ and what he has for us when we are in him, um, it really resonated with my story. Uh, and really, this probably should resonate with all of our stories because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinful, um, whether that be something that's been long held behind us, and, and we're able to fight off and, and, and be free from that, um, or people who have recently received that, or people who are still walking through that part of their story, maybe. Um, we've all been empty. We've all fallen short the glory of God. 
um, but we are all united and brought in by the fullness of Christ. It has continually resonated, like I said, with my story, and I just want to share some of that with you guys today about what God has done in my life um, and the way that this looked for me and the way that he transformed me from someone who was completely empty to someone who was full um, in a fullness that I couldn't find anywhere else. Um, I grew up in a home where we, we went to church for the first few years of my life, um, but not really anything I can remember. Um, when I was about five years old, my parents got divorced. Um, we made a church maybe on a few occasions after that. I think it was Easter and Christmas. Um, that's when a lot of people go to church. Um, but again, really no memory of church. Um, growing up, there weren't any godly influences or really an idea or concept of God. I didn't know God. Um, didn't really know if there was a God. Um, because of some of the, the early years of my life, there was maybe some occasional things where it'd be like, oh yeah, God. But, but really this idea of God was so foreign to me and so lost to me that I, I, didn't, I couldn't say that I knew for sure in any way that there was a God, um, and I certainly didn't know him. Coming from that and being in a broken family, um, my life growing up really came all about me. I wanted it to be about me, and I wanted to perform well. I wanted to gain approval. I wanted to achieve at things, um, especially sports is where a lot of my identity got right, wrapped up in. And from that, I thought I would be fulfilled or that I would be able to earn this fulfillment thing because there always felt like an emptiness inside of me. I was really living life, like I said, for myself and seeking my own gain. Uh, even when I did good things, it was out of the hope and idea that maybe if I did something good, someone would like it or be happy and there'd be more approval. Um, really just, again, finding a way uh, in, in selfish ways, um, even the good things I did were, were for my own good and for my own self. Um, and it left me wanting more and feeling empty. Every time that I would, you know, um, make this sports team or, or get this achievement or get more approval from my peers or, or something that felt like popularity or friendships or whatever that might be, um, it always left me empty. Near the end of high school, a friend of a friend, really random, invited me to youth group, um, to a youth group event. I didn't seem like much at the time, and I actually had no, uh, no plans of going. It was, I think, like a month away, um, and I think it was night of or, or earlier in the week. Uh, me and a friend were just hanging out, and we didn't know what we were going to do that week or anything, and we were just like, let's just, I don't know, we have some other friends who uh, we play sports with who said they're going to it. Let's just go check it out. They said it's going to be cool, and we went. Um, and I don't think it was anything like we expected, for sure. Um, it was very like someone preaching the gospel to us, um, which is probably not what we would have signed up for. Um, but in there, and then in that moment, and as I went to this youth group event, I was told that God loved me, and I was honestly just confused because I didn't know really, is there a God? What is God doing? Who is God? Um, but I was told that God loved me. And honestly, that was something that so captivated in me and so kind of confused me that I was just like, if there's any chance of this being true, that someone who is completely empty and selfish and wants nothing but my own selfish gain is loved by God, like, that seems like, I don't know why he would love me, but I need to know more about this. So I started going to church. That was on a Wednesday night. I went to church that Sunday. Uh, kept going to Wednesday night youth group. Um, started reading the Bible and just asking questions. Um, and honestly, the love of God absolutely captivated me and, and, and really took me away and pulled me out of this emptiness into a life that I could have never imagined, a fullness that I couldn't find anywhere else. Um, and honestly, I've been captivated by the love of God, and I, I haven't recovered yet, and I pray that I never do, because um, God completely pulled me out of this emptiness into a life that I never could have imagined and could have never hoped for. Um, I was filled in Christ. Now, looking back at our passage in verse 8, <clears throat> like we said earlier, we have to face this reality that we were empty and that there's nothing that we can gain. <clears throat> Excuse me. Looking back to our passage in verse 8, <clears throat> we face this reality that we were empty and that there was no gain that we could get out of this world, that there's nothing in this world that will satisfy us, nothing in this world that will fill us, nothing in this world that's good enough. And, and I can say from my story that I, 
I, I thought that maybe there was something way that I could earn this or find this. And I'm sure a lot of you guys have similar stories or backgrounds or moments in your life where you tried to find or fill your life with something that always left you feeling short or empty. Yet verse 9 shows us exactly what fullness is as it tells us about Christ, who as a man was the full deity of God. And through his life, death and resurrection were made new. And then verse 10 declaring this union that we have with Christ and in Christ, being filled in Christ that through Christ we are delivered and rescued from emptiness and find a fullness that we could never have by any other means. That through Christ and his great love for us, we find, again, this fullness that we could never achieve on our own. What I find interesting about verse 8 is that when it talks about being taken captive, it says not to be held captive in accordance to human tradition and elemental spirits and not according to Christ. Paul doesn't blatantly contrast captivity, but he rather blatantly contrasts being held captive by things of this world and things not of Christ. Captivity in Christ, though, is to be totally encompassed, overwhelmed, and filled by who he is and what he has done for us. This is finding and living in fullness. My story was exactly this, that I was captive to this world, that I was captive to this idea that I could achieve or manufacture or or become or, or find this type of fulfillment or satisfaction that I could never achieve. But after being held captive by this world, when Christ became known to me, I found my hope in life in him. I was held captive and captivated by the love of God that absolutely captured my life from this world to a life in him and a life filled in him. Second Corinthians 10, three through six, I think paints a good picture of this. Second Corinthians 10, three through six says this. For though we walk in the flesh, We are not waging war according to the flesh, but the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when our obedience is complete. Paul declaring in 2 Corinthians that though we are in the flesh, we do not live according to the flesh, For we now, in Christ, live according to the divine power of God, being united and filled in Christ. We destroy that which is contrary to God and are held captive. I love this here. It says that we are captured by the obedience. We are captive to obey Christ when we are filled with the Spirit by destroying disobedience by his power and strength in and through us. Again, we live in a world full of things that entice us and seek to enslave us and hold us captive and, and to really leave us empty, leave us wanting more, and hoping that as we become empty and as we seek these things in the world, that we'll just go deeper, that we'll find something in this world that leaves us empty. And so we think, oh, maybe there's something else I can find or something else I can manufacture or something else I can muster up to fulfill myself. But again, all these things simply seek to lead us captive and enslave us and lead us away from God. These are all empty and a vain pursuit. Let us not be enslaved by this world, but rather find ourselves in Christ, being filled in him and living in the fullness in which we have been given and called to. We are filled in Christ. Only in Christ can we find this fullness, this true life, and this life that is a life unlike anything else we could achieve in this world. That, yes, there's emptiness. Yes, we face a sinful, fallen world that we live in and among us, um, that we face trials and tribulations, that we face things of this world every single day, and that we have a world that wants to take us captive, and we have a real enemy that wants to take us captive. But Again, we're presented in verse 9 with that fullness of God about who Christ Jesus is and what he's done and who is the head and rule of all authority and that 
in him and through his life, death, and resurrection, we're invited into this fullness of God that we are filled in Christ and that we get to walk in Christ, that we get to be in Christ in this union and relationship with him. Uh, John 10.10, which I spoke to earlier, and I only read the first half of the verses, is this emptiness that we talked about, that the enemy has come to still kill, and destroy. That there's a real spiritual enemy who wants to still kill, and destroy, and take us away from a life with God. That done, like I said, spiritually, and that being done by helping us and leading us into falling into things of this world. But John 10.10 10 doesn't end there. It goes on, um, and Jesus declares at the end of that verse to say, I have come to give you life, and life abundantly. Other translations to say, I have come to give you life, and life to the full, or life in the fullness. Um, this saying that we are filled only in a life that is in Christ, that there is a real enemy still kill and destroy is what he seeks to do, but we have Jesus who comes to give us life and to fill us. In a moment, we're going to have uh, time uh, to once again sing and proclaim who Jesus is and who we are filled in. Um, but as we, as we end our time together, I want us to think about being filled in Christ. Uh, we're going to have communion in a moment, and uh, communion often is a lot about thinking about what Christ has done, about what Christ has done and what he's done in us and what he saved us from, what he's led us from, and absolutely think about that and resonate on those things as we take communion in a moment. Um, but again, as we take communion, yes, we are recognizing the death of Jesus and the, the fact that that is and the historic event that changes all of our lives that that is, um, but at the same time, we're taking communion. We get to remember what Christ has done for us and what Christ is in us, that Christ did not remain dead, that Christ is very much alive, and that he is at work in us by his Spirit, that we are filled in him, and that in this communion moment, we get to also partake in, in the union that we have with him, being filled in him and who he is. Um, as we close, I want to do so by going to the, the book of Hebrews, actually. Um, there's a benediction at the end of Hebrews, verses 13, 20 through 21, I think this is a great passage about what we have in Christ, who is at work in us and through us. Again, Hebrews 13, verse 20 through 21 says this. Now may the God of peace, who brought, you, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of sheep, by the blood of the eternal co covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. The writer in Hebrews just closes with this incredible benediction to kind of wrap up all his thoughts in that book um, by simply declaring the peace that we have because of who God is and that we have this God who by his blood has saved us and now is equipping us for every good work as he fills us and is working in us through Christ Jesus. And that's exactly what we have when we are filled in Christ, is a God who is with us and in us in a relationship and in a spirit that walks through life with us, that walks through this world where there's trial and tribulation, but we can take heart because the one who is with us and in us has overcome the world, as it says in John 16. We get to celebrate that and get to walk in this union with Christ because we are filled in Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for your word and your promises and your faithfulness. Um, God, I just pray that you would just continue to speak to our hearts, God, um, that your spirit that is at work in us and through us, God, um, would fill us, God, um, that we still live in a sinful, fallen world, and that we still face trials and tribulation and temptation, God, temptation that you, even as a God um, who came and dwelt as Jesus bodily, God, um, faced and overcame, um, and we're not tempted, God, that can, in our relationship with you, in our union with you, can relate to us in, in, in this very life that we live in the flesh, God, but we don't live in the flesh anymore because of your spirit, God. 
God, we pray for strength by your spirit, God, uh, to fix our eyes on you, that we might see you and know you and walk with you and walk in you and be filled in Christ, God. God, we're so thankful for the work of your son and the fullness that he represents, God, that we have a, a world in ways of this world that are so empty, um, that we try to think of our own philosophies and we can be deceived by this world, God, but we have a God who in his love has brought into us an opportunity of fullness in Christ, God. Uh, I pray that that would be a fullness that we would know and that we would see, um, but even more so, a fullness that we have in a real, real relationship with you, God, that we would be filled by your spirit, that we would be filled in Christ and walk in the fullness that we have, a fullness unlike anything else we could ever achieve in this life, God. God, we thank you. Um, I thank you for my story and the stories that um, across this room that are very similar of, of, of seeing this world and pursuing the emptiness of this world, thinking we could fulfill it ourselves, God, uh, but you transforming us to know you and see you and being filled by you, the true source of fullness and a life to the fullest, God, that we can have only in you, God. God, we thank you again. Um, Give us just a moment to reflect on you as we take communion. Give a moment to reflect on Christ who is in us and, th and working through us um, as we take communion, as we worship you, God, today. Uh, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.